Okay, all right, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this time that you have appointed for us to gather around the teaching of Christ, the teaching of the gospel. We honor you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has drawn us to this wonderful truth. I pray for myself as I speak this morning or as you speak through me. I pray also for those who are listening, that you speak to them and show them the truth of Christ. We honor you, glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Miss Ellie was quiet. She should have stayed for the rest of the message. <laughs> Good morning to all those who are joining us. I hope you can hear me. We are going to be in the book of Philemon this morning and we're going to be greedy and work our way through the whole book. I mean, it's just 25 verses, but you can do three messages out of it. But this is our first time to be in this book. So we kind of just go hard <laughs> and be greedy. Let's read, and then I have a few things maybe to share before we go to our message. Philemon 1. All right, so, okay, we had a technical glitch, so we will begin again from chapter 1 of the book of Philemon. This is what Apostle Paul recorded for us. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Athea, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, verse 8 Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for the love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. 
For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right, we are here. If you're a preacher, you have to just know that things go this way. There's always something to frustrate you. <laughs> and a lot of times you get frustrated and you almost start your message feeling angry about things. That's where the Lord wants you to be. I'm not even kidding you. So, just as I was saying, don't be disappointed when things are seemingly not working. The Lord always has a purpose with that. So, this message I intended initially to preach in Kenya, but I had a lot of things to say there, and also my voice was getting a little bit tired. So, I decided to keep it for preaching from here. I have a few things to say by way of opening with regards to my recent trip. I just wanted to acknowledge a few people, acknowledge everybody who came in Kenya and in Zimbabwe for the time. They were not coming to hear from me or to see me. I pray they were coming to hear the gospel which I preached. If there's one thing that you know I'll do, is I'll preach the gospel. So I did preach the gospel to the brethren in Kenya, very, very hungry, thirsty for the gospel. And I want to thank the Lord for our host there, brothers David Joroge and his wife, Sister Cecilia, and uh, Pastor... Kavoy, he is the one, Pastor Patrick, who had the venue that we used. And the sisters who cooked for us, they cooked every day for us and took good care of us. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time with them. And I also would like to thank the brothers in Zimbabwe and the sisters there too. But especially to my cousin, (laughs) Innocent and his wife, um, Innocent Marambiza and his wife, Sister Bertha, they 
carried much of our burdens in Zimbabwe. They carried me around. They fed the people. They organized a lot of things. And also my cousin Mutsa was helping uh, with everything that I needed. So I'm very thankful to all these people that the Lord put in place to help his ministry. It's not my ministry, it's his. And all these are his people. So uh, we just wanted to acknowledge them and to thank them and to pray for them. And back to our text, we have three titles to this message. Put that, put that on my account. Put that on my account. And number two, title, Begotten While in My Chains. Begotten While in My Chains. And number three, the runaway sinners. The runaway sinners. This is a very wonderful message. If the Lord would grant you the ability to hear it, it's more than a letter. It's mostly just been preached as a regular letter, poor writing from prison, and restoring this runaway slave to Philemon. And mostly on the imperative side of things. But I'm going to show you by God's grace that this is actually gospel led. Okay. And this is my first ever message or reference to the book of Philemon ever in all my preaching and teaching ministry. I have never referenced Philemon, even in passing, I've never done so. So it is a blessing to me, and I hope it will be to you also, to find out what the Lord has given me for understanding and to share with you all and anyone who has ears to hear. So obviously I came to this episode, to this letter, with the same mind, and that is to preach Christ, because we must preach Christ and his cross, or else we are not preaching the gospel, we are not hearing the gospel. And with that, let us see how the Lord will help us with understanding by going straight to the text. Paul opened his letter this way in verse 1 and said, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. And this is the only one of Paul's letters in which he addressed or introduced himself as a prisoner of Christ. In seven of his letters, he called himself an apostle, and in First and Second Thessalonians, he used no title. He did not use any title to himself. And in three other letters, he called himself Christ Dulos, that is Christ's servant. And in calling himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus in this letter, was a double play on words. 
because he indeed was a prisoner of Christ to preach the gospel and no other. He was a prisoner to preach the gospel. He was in chains for the sake of the gospel. But also at the time of writing, he was actually in prison. He was in prison. So he was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. My last message in Kenya was Paul's voyage to Rome. I've preached that one before, but the Lord just gave me some wonderful ability to preach it again. And we identified, as you know already, that as Paul was going to Rome, he was a type of Christ. So we see also typology even in the New Testament. And so Paul was a prisoner at this time to the Roman Empire in keeping with what Luke had recorded in the book of Acts from around verses 25, 26, 27, that about. And adding the words, and Timothy, our brother, was a very common way of Paul introducing himself that he may add weight to his message to the recipients of the message because I believe Timothy was also a very well-known figure or brother amongst the brethren. So the name of Timothy was adjoined to Paul's greetings in five other letters, 2 Corinthians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and obviously Philemon. And to the readers, there were four recipients to which the message was copied. Paul said to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, that's number one, and number two, to the beloved Athea, number three, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church congregation in your house. So these were the recipients of the letter. So Philemon was a beloved friend, loved of Paul, and a fellow laborer or worker in the gospel. And that to say he was a prominent Christian in the time of Paul, and he lived in Colossus, and he had a meeting of the saints in his house as we have. And by saying fellow worker, it does not mean that Philemon and Paul were actually in the same place or were living together, but that they were conscripted to the same gospel ministry of the Lord Jesus. They were conscripted to the work of the ministry of the gospel. And Paul acknowledged a prominent sister, Athea, our sister, and she could have been the wife of Philemon or a member of his family or just a prominent sister in that congregation that met 
at Philemon's house. And there was Archippus who was said to be a fellow soldier, also on the same mission. A soldier is a man of war in the battle to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see that the gospel is serious business and the Holy Spirit uses such language of fellow soldiers. And Paul recognizes all these key people that he may exert more influence on Philemon because of the message that he has to deliver to him. And then Paul said, and the church that meets in your house, the majority of the churches, the early churches, they met in people's homes. And this Paul did so that everyone was made aware of the situation and would and should not be surprised and possibly gossip to see the return of the one on Isthmus. Paul is building a background to prepare for the return of Onesimus. So now to the commendation. It seems every letter of Paul except the book of Galatians has a message of thanksgiving in its opening. And in verse 3 of Philemon, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus because that is the gospel message. That is God's ultimate communication to all his people. When God speaks to his people, he does not speak of their judgment anymore. He speaks of grace to them. Grace to you, grace and peace be multiplied to you, not from the government, not from the Pope. The government can send you some COVID checks, <laughs> but it cannot grant or give us grace. So grace to you, not from the Pope, but it is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They alone are the source of grace and peace. And see that in Paul's writing, he almost always started off with grace. Then the effect or result of that grace, which is peace. In other words, Paul does not say peace and grace to you. He always begins by grace and then peace be multiplied to you. It is the grace of God in Christ that has made peace for you with God by the blood of the cross. And that to say, there is no peace with God apart from his grace and apart from Christ Jesus and apart from the cross. There's no peace. So it is not Peace and grace to you, but is grace and peace 
to you and that from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. And that means the Father and the Son are equal because they are the source of the grace that we now possess. And they are the causes of grace and peace. So grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is the summary of the gospel. If you were to give a summary of the gospel, it's grace and peace. That's wonderful news if you actually think about that because since I've been gone almost two months now, you guys have sinned a lot. (laughs) I'm guaranteed of that. And what you need to hear again is grace and peace from the Lord, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not change his message because he did not learn anything new about you and me even in the past two months. He did not. So with that, I'm already done preaching my message to you from God. Grace and peace. (laughs) Grace and peace from our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, verse 4, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. I give thanks to my God, the one who has given us his grace and peace in Christ. That's the one that I'm giving thanks to. I'm identifying my God as the God who is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul has the whom, the when, to whom, and why. He said, I give thanks to God. And I make mention of you. And this is how often I make mention of you. Always. Always. And to the why, verse 5. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So Paul thanks God as the cause of what he is hearing about the saints that are with Philemon. Whoever has the testimony of Christ, who is with Philemon, is God's doing. And he is not thanking God for their breakthrough in business, in making more money in 2024, (laughs) but for their love and faith, which they had first, pay attention, toward the Lord Jesus, and secondly, toward all the saints. So the coupling of faith in Christ and love for the saints was also true of the Ephesians. This is very important. Faith and love are coupled together. Paul is not laboring to put them under the law, He does not put them under the law. And as Paul is working to restore Onesimus back to Philemon, 
he does not use the law for that reconciliation or that restoration. He could have gone to the law and pounded the law on Philemon, but he does not do that because these people are not under the law. He's going to make a different appeal. He's going to make a gospel appeal. So love and faith or faith and love. Those are the cornerstones of our experience and how we relate towards the Lord Jesus Christ vertically and horizontally how we relate to one another. Not by the law. By faith and by love. Okay? So this was also true of the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, if you go to Ephesians 1, 15 to 17... Ephesians 1, 15 to 17, Paul says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, you, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. I heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. So that's what faith does. It produces love for the saints or towards the saints. Those redeemed of Christ, no matter where they are. And to the Colossians, in Colossians 1, 3 to 8, this is what Paul recorded for us. Colossians 1, 3 to 8. Paul said, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you had before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you had and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit, and to First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians one, two to four. First Thessalonians one. 2 to 4, Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved, your election by God. So what is all that saying? It is saying the faith of Christ 
also produces a love for the saints. As I said, even those that we have never seen by with our own eyes, but by the reason of them being the people of God, believing the same gospel, that is saying this is your family. You have been united by God to all these saints. And this is not a new theme in the New Testament. And it's very important. I will hammer it a little bit more because of all these people who will say, when we say the redeemed are not under the law, they always want to run to arguments that don't hold water, arguments that are not very strong even in the New Testament. They argue and say, well, God gave the law, so the law is eternal, and thus the redeemed are under the law. But that's not the emphasis of the New Testament. The emphasis of the New Testament is faith and love. Okay, And as far as God is concerned, that's good enough. <laughs> that's better than putting people back under the law. And so we see this same idea, same testimony running through the pages of the New Testament, even in the writing of Apostle John. Let's go to 1 John 2, beginning at verse 9, and we'll read to verse 11. 1 John 2, 9 to 11. John says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So essentially, again, is love toward the saints that John is talking about. First John 4, 20-21 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So faith and love go together. Faith towards Christ and love towards the brethren is what builds the bond among the redeemed. And so by the Lord's doing, I've been traveling to share the faith of Christ and also the love of Christ to his people. That's the only way you, you can do it. You're doing it because of the faith of Christ and the love towards his people. That's the only way you can take our time and go share the gospel. Now, let's go back to Philemon and hear this 
again from verse 5. Hearing of your love and faith which we have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So the love and faith were necessary for the sharing of their faith and for that to be effectual or for that to be made effectual by the acknowledgement of every good thing, Paul says, every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. Pay attention to that. Acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ. That is a very important statement because Paul did not say Acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. He says, acknowledgement of every good thing in you, in Christ. Why? Because of Romans 7. Romans 7, 18 and 19 says, For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For I want to do the good, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but do the very thing I do not want. So what was true for Paul is also true for you and me. No good thing dwells in you and me. And yet to Philemon, Paul says, of every good thing which is in you in Christ. <laughs> every good thing in you. Not in you because of you and your doing, but in Christ. Only when Christ is present do we have a good thing in us. Us who cannot do good of our own, us who do evil, even the evil that we hate, and sometimes even the evil that we love, yet the gospel comes and declares to us that we have something good in us. But only as we are in Christ, only as we stand in Christ, and that good in us is by God's grace. It is by Christ's doing. It is... Christ Jesus in us, the hope of glory, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So the goodness, whatever goodness we possess, as God says goodness, and as God means by goodness, is only because of Christ in us, not because of us for we, who we are naturally. We have every good thing in Christ. We have every good thing. We have treasure in earthen vessels. 
That is how God sees us. On our very best day, as on our worst day, he sees every good thing in us, in Christ. And that's scandalous. <laughs> Christ dwelling in us by his spirit is the very good thing. So do not despair. But I know people have their New Year's resolutions. They're trying to do better than last year. Good luck with that. <laughs> we already have every good thing in Christ. So Philemon 1, verse 7, Paul says, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Great joy and consolation, that is comfort in your love. Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed in the gospel by you. <laughs> and that to say, Philemon was a dear brother in the gospel of Christ Jesus and had been teaching, encouraging, and feeding the flock that was under his care. And that is the conversation that Sister Matilda and I had a few days ago about this matter of fasting and all these things. It's for the joy and consolation and the edification of God's people in the hearing of the gospel, in the sharing of the gospel. The gospel really makes people happy who have been given ears to hear it. People who desperately need to hear the gospel, they love to hear the gospel more than anything else that you could give them. To hear again and be reminded of their hope in Christ that God shall not bring them into judgment because of their sin ever again. Verse 8, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Paul says, if it were necessary, I could be bold in Christ. I could use Christ's authority that I have as an apostle to do what is fitting, what is right. But I will not exercise that authority towards you, given your understanding and maturity of the things of Christ. Rather, I have a different way to persuade you to do the right thing. I'm not going to do church discipline. I'll appeal to something else for persuasion so that I do not come across as trying to antagonize you, as bossy even. So Paul is very masterful, a very persuasive writer because of the gospel. He knows how to use the gospel to drive behavior. He is doing a courtship of Philemon and appealing to, to that which he knows Philemon will agree with and thus lower his resistance to the matter that Paul is laboring to introduce. He says, verse 9, 
Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am appealing to you on the basis of love, your love and mine as it is in Christ. And if I appeal on the basis of love, that is, in keeping with faith, because faith worketh through love. I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. That's the only and the correct way to make an appeal in the light of the New Testament. You're not making an appeal based on the law because it can only condemn if you do that. Paul says, consider me the aged respect my appeal to you by reason of my age, I am older and hopefully wiser and also I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am aged and imprisoned. Look at my condition. And there's not much I can do in this condition to help Onesimus. I am tied so I appeal to you, I appeal to your love and sympathy. I appeal to your compassion to make restitution, to make restoration to this young man, a runaway slave Onesimus. So what is the appeal? The appeal will tell us the reason why Paul was writing this letter and motivating it this way. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Paul says, I make appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I have a late uncle, my mother's brother, who went by that name Onesimus. I went to see his wife, when I was in Zim, had a wonderful time, very funny, excellent, excellent memory. I mean, like, it's incredible. These former teachers, they have incredible memory of little things. <laughs> but that's like this. Paul says, I appeal, I intercede for my son. So his intercession was particular to someone that he had established a relationship with in Christ. He was Paul's son, literally my own child. And how did Onesimus become Paul's son? Paul says, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Onesimus, a slave to Philemon, had sought for his freedom or may have gotten in trouble with his master and had escaped to Rome. Onesimus had escaped. And it was in Rome that God caused his past to cross with the imprisoned Paul. And obviously Paul introduced him to the gospel, as he said, whom I have begotten while in my chains, so, which means when Onesimus ran away, he had not yet come to the knowledge of truth. 
and he was just lucky to run into Paul. <laughs> and he made a decision for Jesus. <laughs> Religion. Begotten by what? Whom I begotten while in my chains, in my chains, begotten by the gospel of Christ Jesus. But where is Paul drawing this language from? This is gospel language. He is using himself as a type of Christ. And saying, just as Christ Jesus had begotten the church in the chains of the cross, in the imprisonment of the cross, and caused us to be the sons of God, he in like manner had begotten Philemon by the gospel, whilst he too was in chains. Paul was not saying that he caused Philemon to be born again. No, God alone causes a sinner to be born again, but he is drawing a parallel from the gospel and saying just as he was born of God by Christ, by the gospel, Philemon also was begotten by God through Paul who was in chains as Christ was in chains when he begotten us. So in the sovereignty of God, it is God who caused Onesimus to escape from his master as a matter of the gospel proclamation that he may be returned to him by Paul who was in chains as we have been returned to God, our true master from whom we had ran away by the crucifixion of Christ. Begotten while in my chains is also a very appropriate title to the message. Begotten whilst in my chains because all the elect were begotten with the Christ who was, or by the Christ who was on the cross, redeemed, justified on the cross. Whilst, not after, whilst. Because people say, oh yeah, we were only redeemed at the cross. Paul says, no, I have begotten Philemon whilst in my chains, in my imprisonment. So when Christ was imprisoned on the cross, that's when he begot us all to God. It is the chains, the cross, that made us accepted to God, justified us, reconciled us, and made us sons. Here this verse 11. Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me? Onesimus, the name means profitable. It means profitable or useful. And Paul says to Philemon, Onesimus once was unprofitable to you, contrary to his name, but now is profitable to you and to me. 
I've made him profitable to you and to me. And that, again, was a brilliant play of words by Paul to make his point. This one who was once unprofitable slave has become profitable as his name suggests by reason of having been begotten by me by the gospel while I was in my chains. My chains have been for the advancement of the gospel as the chains of Christ were for the salvation of his people to make them profitable. And that again, a gospel statement. That we, the unprofitable servants, who had run away from God because of sin, have now been made profitable by the chains of Christ, having been reconciled back to our master by the blood of the cross. Paul is working to reconcile Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. So what do we see? We see that Onesimus was a picture of you and me, the runaway sinners. And that means Philemon was a picture of God the Father from whom we had run away from. And Paul, who was in prison, was only was the only cause of reconciliation in this relationship. And so he was a type of Christ who is in prison and judgment for the sake of Christ. And he has reconciled the two together such that Onesimus, even ourselves, who were unprofitable, have become profitable not only to God, but also to our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, Philemon is now, sorry, Onesimus is now profitable to you and me. So because of Christ, we have been made profitable to both Christ and God the Father. And that is it. This gospel teaching in types even in the New Testament, you still find typology. Paul was a type of Christ, as I said, as he was going to Rome. Because the salvation of those people who were on the ship with him was predicated on them remaining on the ship and, and remaining with Paul. And here we see Paul also as a type of Christ as he is reconciling this runaway slave back to his master who was a type of God the Father. Verse 12. Paul says, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. I am sending him back to you on my authority. You therefore, that's a command, receive him. This is not just a recommendation, but a command to Philemon. It is not optional. 
and it is not up for consideration. I am sending him back to you, therefore receive him. <laughs> Don't ask him what he is doing. This is the command, this is the appeal of the Lord Jesus Christ, the intercession of the Lord Jesus to the Father in respect of all those that he has redeemed. The Father must receive to the fold unconditionally all those that Christ redeemed. That's the point. They must be received unconditionally. Because they now are like his heart. That's what Paul says. United to him. And any conditional acceptance imposed on Philemon, sorry, on Onishmas to return would cause him to rebel again. Any burden put on Onishmas to return will cause him to rebel again. If he should go back to his master, it shall be unconditionally. Okay? And that would be you and me. If God would impose any condition for us to do, to be returned back to him, we would rebel against it. In other words, we would sin against him again and again and again. Also, any conditional return would destroy Paul's message, would destroy God's message of grace and testimony of the prodigal son story. The prodigal son must be accepted back by grace alone. There are no terms that the prodigal son has to meet to be accepted back by his father. He went away, he got his inheritance, part of the inheritance, and he went and spent it all through a riotous living in a faraway country. And then things got bad. <laughs> he had himself a chip and he was being used and abused. And I believe that was the testament of the law. He had hired himself. And he was working and not really getting paid for what he was doing. And then he was eating with the pigs. And then some sense came to him. And of course we know that it is the father who was drawing him back to himself. In the matter of the gospel, it is God who draws sinners back to himself. So he determined to go back to his father and he said, well, my father has servants and they seem to be doing better than me. Even though I was his son, I'm going to prepare a presentation of my speech to my father. I'm going to go to him in repentance and tell him that I'm sorry. But I have a proposal. You make me like one of your hired servants and I'll work my way back to my sonship. And the son returned to the father and he never got a chance to present his speech. 
the father would not have it because sonship cannot be lost. You do not negotiate your way back into sonship. You go back to where you belong. Always a son remains a son. And God made us sons in Christ Jesus. And that is in keeping with what Paul is preaching in the book of Philemon, that Onesimus cannot be restored to his master conditionally. If it has to happen, it has to be freely so. It has to be by grace alone. Hear this. You therefore receive him that is my own heart, whom I wish, verse 18, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Receive him, that is my own heart, so that your receiving of him is a receiving of me, and a rejection of him is a rejection of me. The receiving of every redeemed person by God is the receiving of Christ. And God cannot reject Christ because Christ has joined himself to everyone who was given him by the Father. So as Christ has been accepted by the Father, so we have been accepted by him. We have been accepted by God 100% because of Christ's intercession, of Christ's appeal, not because we have become good and better people, but because of the relationship that Christ has with the Father and also because of what Christ has done. And this is a matter that's, that many still do not understand in the church. They are busy conditioning our acceptance with God to something that we do, and that is to our obedience. But what we do as runaway slaves is sin. That's all we can do. We can only run away from God. If we should come to God, it is because God through Christ has returned us to God. Paul said, I wished to keep him with me. He is useful to me as things stand. That on your behalf, that he may continue to minister to me in my chains, Paul wished to keep Philemon, to keep Onesimus with him. But pay attention to this. The ministration of Onesimus to Paul, Paul imputed it to be the work of Philemon, as if Philemon had done some service to Paul through Onesimus. See the movement of the story here in the Gospel context. Onesimus belonged to Philemon as a slave. But he was not yet converted to Christ. 
And yet after conversion, he came back to him again, that is Philemon, but with a better relationship. I need to pay attention to that understanding. Onesimus belonged to Philemon before he was converted. And then after conversion, which of course he had run away from his master, he came back to him again, but with a different and better relationship. So he ran away from his master that he may come back with a better relationship. That's God's doing. He ran away from his master that he may come back with a better standing with his master. <laughs> so we were in Christ Jesus chosen by the Father before our redemption. We were rebel sinners. And this is why sin came that we may run away from God that we when we come back, would be in a better standing because of Christ. After we met the Lord Jesus, on account of his chains, on account of his cross, we were returned to the same Father as righteous children, as profitable children. <laughs> Do you see that? So Paul said, I would have wanted to keep Onesimus for my own benefit, Verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. That is amazing writing by Paul. Paul already knows what he wanted Philemon to do. He wanted him to forgive and, for, and receive back Onesimus into his care and fold. But he did not want to make it as if it was forced because that would have reignited his anger against him. So he says, I do not want you to feel like you're being forced by me even though I'm forcing you. <laughs> I want it to be as if it is a good deed initiated by you so that it might not appear as if it was of compulsion or force, but as it were voluntary and that means of grace. If you should accept Onesimus, it should appear as if it is only of grace because that is in keeping with our gospel. And again, this is a borrowing from the gospel theme that we have been reconciled to God, not by compulsion. God was not forced to reconcile himself to us or to accept us back. Rather, it was only by a motivation found in himself. It was his love and his grace. Also, Paul revisited 
He is thinking in the matter of giving. All of Paul's theology was gospel-driven. Whether it was imperatives or the indicatives, everything was coming from the gospel. In the matter of forgiving each other is gospel-driven. In the matter of giving is gospel-driven. It's not by commandment. So, whilst many preachers talk tithing as a New Testament requirement, this is what Paul would say in respect of the same. 2 Corinthians 9, 7-8. In the matter of giving... Paul says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity or of compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Paul says, give not of necessity. That is, not of compulsion, but of voluntary as God has voluntarily given us all things in Christ. God was not forced to give us his son. He was not forced to forgive our sins. So, have the same mind. And that language Paul uses to persuade Philemon to accept Onesimus back. And before we go back to verse 15 of Philemon 1, I wanted to go to Romans 5, verse 6 and 7, so that you see where Paul is getting all his arguments or Paul is being consistent in the way that he teaches. In Romans 5, 6 to 8, Paul says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God saved us whilst we were still sinners, enemies with God, without strength, ungodly. He already did that. If he did that, it could only have been one way, by grace. <laughs> so the motivation of our salvation was found in God alone and was not by compulsion, but voluntary. So in the matter of relationships amongst those who are of Christ, it is going to be the same way. The motivation has to be grace and more grace and reconciliation. It can be of law. So Paul is laboring to make sure that this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon is grounded on grace and grace alone.
in keeping with this gospel. So we go to Philemon 1 verse 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. That you might receive him forever. You cannot read these things too fast. Otherwise you miss it. For perhaps he departed for a while. You're looking at time. For a while, for a minute. For this purpose, there's a reason for it. That you might receive him forever. So more gospel nuggets. And this, I believe, is coming from God's purpose in our sin and redemption. This is an appeal to God's purpose by Apostle Paul as he understands the gospel. He surmises the reason why Onesimus may have deserted him initially and said, he had departed only for a while and for this purpose. Only for a while and for this purpose. And that means our sin, our departing from God, was only for a while and had a purpose in Christ. For Onesimus, it was so that he, he would be received back by his master forever. Don't, don't miss there forever. <laughs> and for us, our sin was so that we would be received back in the hands of God forever. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me repeat that again. Because Paul is using the decrees of God here to make an argument. He is saying the running away of Onesimus from his master was only a picture of the bigger thing. Onesimus ran away for a few weeks, few months, that he may be restored back to his master forever. And so in Adam, we ran away from God only for a minute that we may be, through the redemption that is in Christ, be restored back to God forever and ever and ever. That was God's purpose. But how was he to be received this time around, verse 16? How is Onesimus to be received back? No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. For Philemon, Onesimus would no longer be received back as a slave. The relationship has changed. There has to be a change of relationship on account of Christ. If there has been condemnation, we do not go back to God in the same state. We go back justified. We do not go back to God as slaves to the law because the law only makes slaves. We only go back to God no longer as slaves. Anyone who says he is still under the law does not know what they're talking about. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. They may say a lot of things that are true about the gospel, 
But when they put you under the law, it shows that they have no light of this story, of this matter. They do not know it. We cannot go back to our master as slaves. We can only go back as free. As the children of Sarah, not as the children of Hagar. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother of Christ. Because now we call Christ our brother. There is a legal standing, a change in the legal standing and relationship that Onesimus has with his master. When he goes back, it will be different. He would come back as a brother. He would come back of equal standing as we, when we come back to God, we come back with the same righteousness of Christ. As if we have an equal standing with Christ because of his imputed righteousness. Okay? He would come back as a brother of equal standing and this for both Paul and Philemon. So this return would grant more rights and a better standing for Nismus and forgiveness of all his transgressions. Onismus cannot come back unless all his sins have been forgiven by his master. And because of Christ, we have now been restored back to God, no longer as slaves, no longer as those under sin, no longer as those under the law, but as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, as those possessing the same righteousness as that of the beloved son. And this is our reconciled status to God, not as condemned slaves, but reconciled brethren. But Paul continued with this gospel, appeal and said, verse 17, If then you count me as a partner, Receive him as you would me. If you consider me as a partner, as anything, as a fellow worker in Christ, receive him then as you would receive me. <laughs> Philemon, would you receive me as Paul? How would Philemon receive Paul back? Unconditionally. Be very happy to see Paul. Would do everything to receive Paul. And Paul says, you do that to Onesimus. Receive him as you would receive me. And this to say, I know you would receive me gladly. And now, you do the same with Onesimus. Yeah? With the same gladness and unconditionally. Because this is how God would receive back all his children. Redeemed in Christ. He receives them all back to him as he has received Christ back. As if they never committed any sin, as if 
They were never estranged from him. Paul's point is no questions asked. Don't revisit any old sins, even new ones. Because God does not and will never revisit the old sins and the new sins. Because they're going to be received as Christ has been received. It's so good, I'm going to have to preach it again. I love it. New sins, all sins forgotten. As the father did with the prodigal son. He did not ask the son to explain himself and what he had done in the faraway country. When you go to the faraway country, you come back stinking. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't driving a Cadillac with the air conditioning. He was walking. It's a faraway country. No shoes. Didn't have any clothes, no deodorant, no, 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 nothing. So he's coming back to the father. But the father loved him, hugged him, threw a big party for him, killed a fattened calf that is Christ Jesus, killed for the return of the prodigal children, celebrated his return. So the same way the father received the prodigal son, we are received back by God. That is clear teaching to me, and this truth will set you free. This is the only truth that will reassure you over and over again that there is no other way for you than the grace of God. Now, to anything that may be outstanding, should there be anything that may hinder your embrace of him, if there should be anything outstanding, that you are awed by Onesimus. Verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. <laughs> the whole appeal rests on this point. Paul surely knows that Onesimus wronged his master. He knows what, what went down. He did not care to share the details of what it is that Onesimus did wrong because as we come to God in Christ all the details of our sin are not remembered in conversation. If there is anything that he owes you put that to my account. Sounds like the Good Samaritan. At the inn. He has two denarii. You take care of my patient. Of my person. But if there's anything else that you need, put it to my account. That's clear teaching. This gospel is so incredibly consistent. This has to be the truth of God. Put it to my account. Charge it to me. Make it my liability and responsibility. I have made myself his surety and substitute. 
impute all his wrongdoings and death to my account. One of the things that I was sharing when I was in Kenya and Zimbabwe was imputation. We talked a lot about the doctrine of imputation and how that is very central to the gospel transaction. And that's why we revisited Miss Potiphar again. And that's why we talked about Mr. Barabbas' imputation. We talked about the Good Samaritan story again. Impute all his wrongdoings and deaths to me. And anyone who plays around this matter of imputation is guaranteed to have a false gospel. All matters of salvation are transacted through the imputation of things, of our sin to Christ and of Christ's righteousness to us. Imputation is not talking about your obedience in any way. It's not talking about your moral transformation in any way. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what God determined to do. This is how God wanted to do things. Charge it to Christ's account. So Paul ties this whole conversation to the idea of surety and representation or substitution. So the surety, again, is the person who takes the responsibility of paying someone's debts. And so the Lord Jesus was made surety of the covenant of our salvation. He took the responsibility on himself to make payment for all our sins. And he said to the Father, put all their sins to my account. Put all their sins to my account. And then someone who calls themselves a sovereign grace person is going to say, well, if someone has been married and they've been divorced, they're not saved because they need to go back to their husband and stuff, and then going to go and court Matthew, which they do not understand about divorce. They do not get the gospel. Your marriage status has nothing to do with your salvation. It's all about Christ. <laughs> It is a simple, but people want to complicate it. Why? Because they're trusting in something that they're doing themselves. They think God is going to be impressed that they kept their 25 years old marriage when Christ is keeping a marriage for eternity. It's foolishness. Put all their sins to my account. End of story. So all your sins were put to his account, to his account, and so he came and he made payment by his blood and said it is finished. And if it is finished, then it is finished. And we have some very good news. We can approach God in peace, knowing that we shall be received by him as he received Christ Jesus. This matter of surety, union, representation, imputation, propitiation or satisfaction 
is very important and is not understood in much of what passes for gospel. And may God teach us these things. Because when we have understood these things, we will understand the truth of Christ's work and how we stand before God. Understand these things and you can catch the false preacher even as they are praying. <laughs> Before they even open the scriptures, you can catch them that they do not know the gospel. And also because of that, you can catch the preachers who seem to say correct things sometimes, but they are very inconsistent. One day they sound like they have it. The next message, they lose it. Why? Because they are not grounded in the fundamentals of what the gospel is. Okay? It's by Christ alone, but... <laughs> Verse 19. Philemon. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. <laughs> Paul says, I'll repay on behalf of Onesimus whatever he owes. I, I'm putting my signature. I will repay. I will honor my promise. But then he spins around and says, by the way, you owe me also. Not a bag of peanuts or corn, but yourself. But he does not say in what manner he is owed, but he says your own very self. And if you owe me, you, <laughs> then that cancels out whatever may have been owed by Onesimus. Because it is way less than what you owe me. So what is Paul doing with that statement? He is making sure that he has removed any conditional acceptance of Onesimus. And that in keeping with the gospel, that's what he's doing. Paul is not going to go to Philemon and ask him to pay him back. He is using this to make sure that Onesimus is restored unconditionally. You owe me even yourself. What are we going to do about that? Onesimus must be accepted back unconditionally by grace alone. And that's the point of this letter. God is showing us the proper way to apply the gospel in disputes with those who are of Christ. When people have disagreements, you appeal is the gospel. It's not, oh, you did this last year, and I did this for you. Now you owe me. <laughs> or bring people back under the law, because no. God is saying it's Christ, and Christ is sufficient in the indicatives of your salvation and in the imperatives of how you deal with other people as saints. Verse 20. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. 
How? Verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience. I write to you. Knowing that you do even more than I say. So Paul keeps pressing in his appeal. He says, Make me joyful in the Lord. Make it about you and me and all the differences you have with Onesimus will be settled. You didn't hear me? Paul says, make me joyful in the Lord. Make it between you and me and all the differences that I may have with you and that you may have with Onesimus will be settled. In other words, make salvation a matter between the Father and the Son and all the differences that you have with God will be settled. Make it about Christ and the Father. End of story. And that is the correct gospel. Because the gospel is the work between, agreed between the Father and the Son. On behalf of the sinner. The sinner does not cause anything. The sinner does not cause anything. They are only restored back to the Father on account of the relationship that Christ has with the Father. Onesimus reconciled back to his master on account of the relationship that Paul had with Philemon. Yeah? So we are only recipients of this transaction. We are recipients of the love affair within the Godhead. We have been caught in between the love affair of the Godhead in which God sought to glorify his son, glorify himself in the salvation of sinners. Okay? So the father loves the son. So he gave him a people, a sinful people, runaway slaves, to redeem, to recover, to reconcile, and to be glorified in that. Ephesians 3.20 and we're done. Paul says, now to him who is able. <laughs> we read things too quickly. That is never said of any person who is not God. <laughs> now to him who is able, because we are not able. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, that is repetition. Paul would fail an English grammar class. <laughs> but God does not care. He means to express the level of what he has done. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we seek, that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, 
I don't know how I stopped that. That's fine. I, I thought my next verse was a continuation of that. So I read it as if I was going to continue. But it was ending there. But that's fine. Let's go to Philemon 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. What is that saying? Where is this coming from? This is coming from the resurrection of Christ. Remember where Paul is. Paul is in prison. He is in the dungeon. And he has to resurrect from that dungeon if he has to be restored to Philemon. If he has to come to Philemon, he has to resurrect as it were. We have taught a lot of messages from the Old Testament where we see Joseph coming out of the dungeon as a picture of the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is saying, prepare a guest room for me. As Jesus was saying, I'll go back to the Father and I'll prepare, right, a place for you. Prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Christ Jesus knew that he was going to be resurrected from the dead right before even he died. John 10, he said that. Okay, I have this commandment of the Father from the Father to put down my life and to take it back up again. No one takes my life away from me. So he had the confidence, even as he was facing death, that he would resurrect again from the dead. And Paul has the same confidence, even as he is in the prison, and he says, I am so confident. You go and get some new bedding from Walmart, because I'm going to be out of here soon. Prepare, I guess, room for me. Because in his resurrection, Christ had successfully and completely justified his people from their sins and restored them to the Father. And so he was granted back to the Father through the resurrection. Remember, after he resurrected, he said, I have not yet, don't touch me, because I have not yet gone to the Father. So he had to go back to the Father and give the father a good report that I have, I have reconciled the runaway Onismases of the world back to Philemon, who is a picture of God the Father. You get it? Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. We are done. I'm going to have to preach it again. But there's so many nuggets, I need to develop it some more. <laughs> I love it. I love it because as we are working our way through Romans, sometime uh, in this millennium, we shall get to Romans 12. We're going to start seeing some applications. And this is the proper way to preach an application message. You preach the gospel in the application. You just don't apply. <laughs> because when you just apply, it's too long. Okay? All right. Praise be to God.
sorry for the inconvenience earlier, but that's how the Lord works. I'm not surprised by anything that he does anymore. Okay. Um, still trying to figure out how things work. Today is communion day for us, our first communion of 2024. So we'll be catching up with everybody. Share the message. The sermon audio message will be available sometime later in the afternoon when I get to it. I still have more messages from my travels in Kenya and Zimbabwe. You will see them when I post them. Okay? All right. Have a good day.